Welcome back to the Mid-South Television Review Show. I am your host, Mike Mills, and I am joined always by my co-host and host, the great Brian Last. What's going on, Brian? How you doing this week, man? Aloha, Mike. This is going to be a lot of fun. Mid-South is really starting to pick up. Interesting things happening. Interesting things being said on TV. And uh, I think we have another exciting hour to talk about and play lots of Bill Watts sound bites from uh, here today on the show. I'm wondering if we should start calling it the the Watts soundbite show because there's been a lot of Wattsisms and not only Wattsism but Watts phrases and Watts talk. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> the more I think about it, you know. Now that you say that, I'm going to play a clip real quick before we even talk about anything on the show. This is from the opening of the show last week. Remember. After Bill Watts left, he had a flight to catch in the middle of the television taping, <laughs> so he just took off, and then Boyd Pierce just orally filleted him <laughs> during the show. He's like, oh, everyone loves Bill Watts. Everyone just He goes off on him. He does it here at the beginning to explain now why Bill Watts is there and why he'll probably be there for the foreseeable future. Listen to this clip. As we received over 100,000 letters from you for the dream match you fans at home, so many of you commented personally to me that whenever Cowboy Bill Watts is in the area, you want him as our guest commentator. Your requests, once again, are being answered this week. The Oklahoma Stampeder Cowboy Bill Watts is with us. Well, thank you, Boyd. You sure don't have to chorus me very hard. I love the sport, and I love uh, the tremendous matches Mid-South puts on and the tremendous crowd participation. And uh, that dream match was just another instance of it. And I think matchmaker Grizzly Smith, his years of experience in the ring, have become a valid asset to the people at home because he's always got the top matches for them. Today, another great card. Let's go right to the action. Interesting thing here, Mike. I don't know how much you remember about, you know, years later in Mid-South when you were a little bit older, so you would have been watching it live. but. They're completely pretending like Bill Watts like has nothing to do with the company. You know, why is he here? Oh, I just love the matches that Grizzly Smith puts on, so I decided to come sit in as a commentator. Not, well, I own the sucker. <laughs> why do you think I'm here? Yeah, and I was too, like you just said, I was way too young to understand. I had no clue. I didn't know until I got older that, oh, oh, Watts owned the son of a gun. That's why he's That's why he's just randomly there. And and now you look back and you watch Boyd. Uh, we got over 100,000 letters. Uh, Watts, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts saying people wanted you as a guest commentator. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I guess you did get 100,000 letters. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have a clue. I didn't find out until I got older. It, I mean, it, it's completely hidden on these episodes as you're watching back then. Yeah, he's just the expert who's in town. Until he has a fight to catch. <laughs> right. Good old <laughs> cowboy Watts. <laughs> uh, so it's Boyd and, and Watts again this week on the show. And Boyd is wearing, how would you describe this? Like a silver, it's kind of like if you took El Santo's mask and just like made an entire suit out of it. He's just, he's like shining. Man, that dude's suit is so bright. If you put him on Pluto, you'd be able to see him from there without a telescope it's ridiculous it's utterly ridiculous how shiny and silver that jacket and tie are it's just like bam it hits you as soon as you and, and the thing about the thing i remember about about boyd's suits were i remember them being like colorful and different like patterns i don't know if i remember the shiny Boyd suits, but I guess, you know, you just kind of don't remember things the way they are a lot of times, but it's very shiny. He is very, very, very bright. He stands out. You know, he what he's got on certainly leans into what Watts was saying. I think it was last week about his suits and how everybody uh, talks about his uh, lavish. I don't want to call them lavish, but stand out his suits. That's right. And as you heard, Watts was getting ready to go to the action, and they did that. And, of course, it being Mid-South Wrestling from this time period, we begin with a Brian Blair match. I feel like it's a variation of this match we've seen on every single episode we've reviewed so far. It's Brian Blair versus Tom Ernesto Jr. Pretty much. I, I don't know how else to critique it other than what you just said. At least Brian Blair had a new jacket. I think it's like the third different jacket I've seen him wear. He is switching up the jackets. That's an astute observation there. He's he's definitely switching them up. He's doing some things different there. Tom Ernesto still looking like a Ron Jeremy. Tom Ernesto Jr., I should say. Still looking like a Ron Jeremy lookalike somewhat. But, you know, uh, you're right. This is like a reboot. It's like a, it's like a movie they've made a few times. <laughs> this is a reboot of it, I guess I would call it. Well, Watts has some interesting things to say during this match 
about Brian Blair because Watts likes wrestlers. We all know that Watts likes guys who can actually wrestle, but he also likes big guys. And Brian Blair isn't the big guy, even though he does have some wrestling ability. So listen to Watts, put him over and talk about wrestler size. And this goes back into what we said last week. Every time you listen to Watts, it's a master class. He completely and perfectly explains something, justifies it, tells you why it's reasonable, why it's rational. And it's it's just amazing. It's just he does it so casually in the flow of the match. Uh, let's listen to this audio. We'll talk about it again on the other side. Fred Neely rings a bell. Here's Bill Watts. Brian Blair was a state champion in amateur wrestling in Florida, too. He's a good athlete. He's small, so he really has to be good to get to the top. You know, sometimes when you're blessed with that God-given size and strength, if you've got the heart to go with it and a little bit of coordination, you can really take some shortcuts. But the guys around the 220 mark that have to work out hard to stay to 220, 225, 230, they have to have it all. And they've got to train constantly to be there. And that's like even number one Paul Orndorff. He's not a, a huge man, but he's built his body to where he's overpowering physically. He's got that strong mental attitude, as does this Brian Blair. And that is so interesting because we know Watts likes bigger wrestlers. And he's explaining to the people watching at home why a smaller guy like Brian Blair has to work harder but still has a shot. Yeah, and it builds credibility for his whole promotion, too, in a promotion where there's big guys, you know, and and he likes the big guys and he, he likes the tough guys. Here you got this smaller guy, although not a, not small by normal person standards, but still small for wrestling. He wants to give him some credibility, and it's the right thing to do. So I agree. Watts encapsulates it well. He explains it well. I mean, he even brings in, you know, Paul Orndorff, who was smaller at that time, and how he had to work on his body, like as a comparison, too. So I thought that was that was well done by him. I mean, we, we, we laugh at some of the stuff Watts has said about, you know, just randomly leaving in the middle of a taping to go fly to catch a flight to meet some people as he said but it, it he also gives you some some good tidbits on commentary and good things on commentary that you can sink your uh, your teeth into he certainly does and of course watts being watts and uh, we're not going to play this audio but right after all that he all of a sudden congratulates larry shakatana and the lsu <laughs> amateur wrestling team and really starts putting them over for the first of twice during this television taping because later on in the same show once again he starts throwing out the name and talking about lsu and it's just i feel like watts beats all these people and then he thinks they watch the show to hear their name well real quick uh, because i think you're about to go to the finish of the match so he he does mention it mid-match or right before a nice move that's about to happen and then when the move happens he just stops talking about lsu starts talking about the match the match finishes and then, like, 30 minutes later in the episode, he picks back up with where he left off <laughs> That's <right>. with LSU. <laughs> like, like, if you were to splice out 30 minutes and then just attach it, he just he, he ends up finishing his thought that he started in match number one later on in the episode. Just, just a point to, to consider as we go, <laughs> go deeper in. But, yes, I agree. Another thing I think it's important to point out, we'll start doing this every week, uh, or at least every time they have a new set of tapings. But, Mike, in the front row, as always, is the old man in the white cowboy hat. Of course, mm -hmm. there are several old women next to him. A, I think one of the more identifiable ones is kind of towards the center of the ring, a little bit to the left of the man in the white cowboy hat. And then there's the teenage girls in the front row. I'm going to start paying attention to the crowd. I want to see who's coming back each and every week. We know the guy and the old lady are there every single show. Yeah, the the old man is there for a while, if memory serves me correctly. I didn't pay as much attention to the right side, but the old guy and yes, that that lady they they're there for a while. I, I they must have been just mainstays in the area. Who knows? Maybe they had something to do with the uh, with the Irish McNeil, uh, you know, home. Ah, who knows? But the, he's definitely there a lot. So uh, I'll I'll be interested to see as you're tracking this, and and we'll both track it. I should say. Brian Blair wins via guillotine. Uh, Alfred Neely was the referee, and that's it. Just another Brian Blair match opening up another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. But uh, this next part, we're going to play a lot of audio from because there's a lot going on. Uh, as we explained, we missed an episode. There's an episode missing, which would have been two episodes ago. And they make reference to some of the things that happened on that episode right here, Mike. Yeah, they, they, they break it down into some audio with the Sheik and what... 
I, I'm, I'm assuming, well, not assuming, this is what happened, I guess, a few weeks ago when they didn't air it. So it's it's some good stuff, and it kind of tells the story of, of what happened. You know, I mean, the Sheik was involved with, with this thing with Ellering, and it, now we're going to find out what's going on with the Sheik. So I don't know. I, I, I like... This was this was this was cool because you know we're missing a show from two weeks ago. I mean, this is the January twenty third, nineteen eighty two episode, so we're missing a show from a few weeks ago. So I like that they're uh, you know putting this in here and letting us know what we may have missed, and because it's it's a, the segments that they show here and air and this audio we're going to listen to is actually not just from this week; it's from previous weeks, and it helps uh, helps recap where we're at. So you know, so to say. It certainly does. And before we get to the recap clips, Bill Watts kind of lets you know what's going on. And he's just so fascinating to listen to. Let's listen to this first clip. You know, Boyd Pierce, oftentimes wrestlers come here from other countries and they don't understand our customs and the things that go on in the United States. And, and they'll see one portion of, of something, uh, it's an event in the United States happen, and they'll try to turn it to their advantage. And the man from Iran, the Iron Sheik, was no exception. You know, after all, in Iran, they certainly don't respect any of our customs. They don't respect anybody's customs, as was proved by their violation of international law. But the Iron Sheik ran the ground to something a little bit stronger, and let's watch in progress as he finished off Zapata and Akbar, and he pulled a sit-down strike saying they wanted more competition. Let's rejoin that last moments of this situation. He's just, again, he just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just he, he takes something that's very simple, and he adds in detail that I wonder how many of the average rank-and-file Mid-South Wrestling television viewer Knew exactly what Iran, you know, like knew the ins and outs of all these things that Watts references. Yeah, and I'm too young to be able to speak to that. I can tell you, for me, I would sit there captivated, and he, the storytelling was on point. Where it was like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, again, I'm six, seven years old, but at that point in my life, you know, huh, he he knows what he's talking about. He's he's telling that story well. So, but you're right. He's got a way of explaining it, and it's not like. Watts is this great orator, so to say, but he still tells a good story when he's positioning what went down, how it went down, and then where we're at and where we're going, so to say. He does, and what they referenced, the clip from the show two weeks ago, is this, which is the Iron Sheik with Skandar Akbar at ringside versus Carlos Zapata, or you may remember him from last week's show as Zapata. But here's the Iron Sheik versus Carlos Zapata. Let's listen to the commentary man beat beat him while he's down it only takes three seconds to pin him but you start playing with him playing cat and mouse to show off oftentimes that can backfire on you back suplex. the iron sheet gets a victory Agbar's throwing a chair in the ring there boy and the iron sheet listen to the crowd they want him to know that they're proud of the usa they still hold Iran responsible for the 440 days of hostages, and the Sheik is sitting down in the ring. And the chant of USA from their fans, and General Skandar Akbar moving from the ring. What you just seen is another typical American insult. In this match, as every week I've been here on Mid-South, clamoring and yelling for competition. But this time, Boyd Pierce, Mid-South is not going to get away with it because... All you Americans seem to understand is cowardice and sit-down strikes, and that's exactly the way it's going to be. In other words, my man is going to have a sit-down strike until we get superior competition. And you know, I smell a dog. That's right, I smell a lot of American dogs, and I smell one with fleas on it. And I'm talking about the junkyard dog. So if you're listening, junkyard dog, I'm issuing you a challenge. And my man won't leave that squared circle until justice is done. That's out of my jurisdiction, not my department. You'll have to see the matchmaker. So, so <laughs> Boyd had to throw that in at the end. Yeah, I, I think you know what I'm laughing at. <laughs> That's out of my jurisdiction, not my department. We'll have to see. You'll have to see the matchmaker. He says it as Akbar's walking away. You know, Akbar had a chance to stop and turn around and go, you know what? Do something. But he just, he was like, yeah, he's right. He's I right. smell a dog. A dog with fleas on it. That was a good that promo. That was a good Akbar promo. Yeah. Yeah. Akbar, Akbar was good, man. Akbar was really, Akbar was the first wrestling manager I ever remember. Um, Jimmy was the next one, Cornette. But Akbar was good, man. I, I like that promo. 
not to get too off topic, but during your days as a wrestler, I know you were around a lot of those guys who work for, you know, the GWF, like Rod Price. Were you ever around Akbar? Uh, I did. I was on one show with him uh, early 2000s, I think it was, with him. And uh, I mean, I didn't know him, only shook his hand. But I've I've heard my share of Akbar stories from Rod because Rod knew Akbar really well. And uh, Akbar was, from, from the way Rod describes him, man, Akbar was a really intelligent, you know, nice guy. And he was big into high school football in, in Texas. And, and, um, funny story, you know, as you're talking about this, Akbar believed that everything was a work based on what Rod Price told me. Cause I, again, I'm getting this secondhand cause, cause I, I didn't really know Skandar Akbar, but I, Rod again was real close with him. And so this knowledge with football being a work, whether it pro or NFL, um, was passed on to Rod or Rod seems to believe he played in the NFL too, that he could tell it was a work. Rod would always tell me football is a work. Well, many years later, I met James Beard, the referee from global and, uh, and world-class towards the end. And James was telling me, I think it was about a year and a half ago. He goes, man, Rod got that from Akbar. Akbar used to always say that pro sports or the NFL and college football was all a work. And he said the way Akbar used to describe it was, well, you got the baby faces over here. You got the heels over here. So he would use like wrestling terminology <laughs> when talking about sports being a work and whatnot. So never got to meet him. But everyone that I know that knew him uh, had nothing but great things to say about him. I mean, just, you know, real, real nice guy, real just a well-respected person in the business. Well, now we're coming out of that clip, that flashback to two weeks ago, where Watts, of course, had gone into detail about they were hostages for 441 days. He just, he keeps harping on every little detail. It's amazing. I love it. But yes. now they're back in the present day, the present time of this show, which I probably should say here, this is the January 23rd, 82 show. And now they explain what we're about to see. So let's listen to this now. Well, this is one strike that didn't last very long, and matchmaker Grizzly Smith didn't need to meet with a grievance committee or have anybody from the National Labor Relations Board to settle it. He went right to the man that was challenged, the junkyard dog, and he answered the Sheik and Skandar Akbar sit-down strike. And let's see the final moments of that emphatic answer, the junkyard dog. Boy, that one doesn't need any introduction. Did you ever see a junkyard dog get back down from a fight? Not this one. <laughs> Grizzly Smith is the kind of matchmaker I like. My gosh, if somebody runs his mouth, he's got to put up or shut up. And I'm with the dog as this is a whole crowd. USA, USA, they were chanting against that sheik, waving his flag and being proud of them taking defenseless, defenseless people and hijacking this country for 444 days. He can get all the competition he wants right here in Mid-South. Wow, the dog slapped him on the bread basket there. Gut shot. Inside cradle. The JYD showing some wrestling moves. He keeps saying he doesn't know any wrestling, but he showed a great win for Akbar. Akbar ducked. Akbar is really desperate. The dog kicked off. It messed up the timing of the Sheik on the soup play. Both men are stunned. Both men are stunned. Give you a 15-yard penalty and thrown out of the game in the National Football League, but in pro wrestling, they just leveled the Iron Sheik. And there goes Akbar coming in, and he got that point of toe booty his man right in the face. The dog is just polishing him off, and the Sheik is drunk, and the dog just gave him a forearm shiver. Well, that was a huge pop for the Irish McNeil Boys Club. They were so into that. And Mike, without even getting into the Iron Sheik and Akbar, that was like perfect usage of the Junkyard Dog. Quick, brief, he looked great, hit his move, got the win. Everyone went crazy. There's so much right with what you just heard. You know, one was Watts on commentary during that just... He he was – whenever he called a, a JYD match, it, that's what it sounded like. Like when, you know, his excitement, you could hear it in his voice. So you're if you're at home, you feel it. You see it. You feel the excitement from JYD, but you also feel it from Watts on commentary. Another thing that was great there, 
you can't see it as you're listening to this podcast, but Akbar's bumps here are tremendous as he sells for JYD. Yeah. And it, this was just this was Akbar. That was just him. That's how good he was at his job as a manager. He was the evil manager, but when it came time, he got his butt kicked, and he was really good at getting his butt kicked and being the cowardice manager, so to say. And then the last thing you said it right when you threw right when you came back from the clip, the crowd. This is not thousands of people, you know, in an arena. This is a small, you know, building, and they erupt. And it it and if you're at home, you're like, wow, man, it really must be great to be there. But it was just a, a good segment. It, it all tied in together so well, from the commentary to, to what JYD did to Akbar and his selling, and then the crowd erupting. Just really, really good stuff right there. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of the people who have given different wrestling companies crap in the last, like, 20, 25 years for having short matches on TV. You know, they see a match, and they're like, oh, I wanted to see that, and it only went two minutes. And I agree, usually that's bullshit. But Mid-South Wrestling did it really well, because that JYD Iron Sheik thing was, like, less than a minute and a half. <laughs> Yet so yeah. much happened. It got a big pop. It made sense in the general scheme of things. And nothing took away from what could be. I stress that because we'll explain why in a second. A house show program, because I actually can come back and say, hey, you know, my manager was in the ring. You hit my manager. I was distracted. I had just had my sit in. I already wrestled. There's enough things to, you can have a program, but uh, a program was not to be. But see, you said something that's key there, and it's the argument I make on Booking a Territory nearly every single week. Wrestling was not made. Not only, you know, I agree with Jim Cornette says to be national, but wrestling was not made to be a freaking three hour marathon on Monday and two hours on Tuesday. It was at most a two, you know, at most a two hour product at most. And you, you mentioned how quick it was. Problem nowadays, you got too much time to fill. Well, back then. That minute and a half to what you just said, yeah, that was just like the match portion of it. But this whole segment was longer than a minute and a half. And to the the other point, you could lead into a house program based on what you just saw that you could then take around the circuit and around the territory. But, you know, now you got too much time to fill. So sometimes you have to stretch things out longer than they should be, even though there are still very short matches nowadays on TV. I'm not saying there aren't. But, yeah, you make a good point with that. It's it, it's short. It was hot. I mean, you heard the crowd. They were hot. They were into it. And, you know, more's coming on this particular segment as we're speaking about it, too. Well, like I said, what could have been, but the Iron Sheik is not here this week. Uh, nor will he be returning anytime soon. Uh, we'll talk about that on the other side, but here's Skandar Akbar, his manager, discussing the departure of the Iron Sheik. I shall challenge my schedule here. Let me interrupt. I've just received a telegram, and I'm as puzzled as you or anybody else watching here in Mid-South area. I have received a telegram saying that the Iron Sheik has been recalled to his native Iran, by the great spiritual leader himself, Ayatollah Khomeini. And this is all I can say. All the arrangements, I assure you, had been made for the Iron Sheik to appear to wrestle the junkyard dog tonight. I had gone to great expense for this rematch. That was scheduled. All I can tell you is the Iron Sheik is not here. This is all that I have to go by. A telegram that was given to me just moments ago. That the Iron Sheik is not here before I walk out of this ring, I'm visibly upset, as you can see. I am upset. Well, that's quite obvious. Before I leave this ring, I would like to tell all you people watching in Mid-South who underestimated the value and the valor of the Iron Sheik, because you know now that this man is held in high esteem in his native Iran. The number one bodyguard has been recalled to Iran. That's all I can say. But I can say one more thing that you should treat the Iron Sheik with respect, just as the general. All I can say is I made the arrangements. The man is not here. Well, the Iron Sheik is not here. Obviously, there will not be a... Bill wants it doesn't look like there, the Iron Sheik and the junkyard dog. So let's go back to the Boyd between the... Bill Watson. See what happens. Look like there'll be any confrontation this evening between the Iron Sheik and the junkyard dog. 
Our next thing is going to show you a videotape replay of a match between the Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika, and so we'll watch that right now. Okay, first of all, they're talking over Risa. I don't know what was going on there. They just, he was just, he kept going. And, you know, the story with Risa always was he would drive Watts crazy sometimes because he was so long-winded, like on the local promos. He would just very slowly and very calmly tell you the entire card. So if you're doing like a, you know, let's say they have one minute for promos, like 45 seconds of it was just Risa talking about everything. And here he's just like, Hell, there it is, the challenge. Let's go back. Let's see. Like, he's still talking. They're ready to move on, and they can't. <laughs> Can you imagine Watts sitting there? He's like, will you shut up? He's got to be thinking it, like, just peering through him. Because they're sitting off to the side, so he can see him as this is going on. Uh, yeah, it, it good old Reeser. Oh, we love Reeser though. Yeah, he he he. They they were ready for him to throw it over, and Reeser's just he he's just he didn't know how to throw it over. He just it was like he wanted to keep talking, you know. To the point you said he's he's gone on for another thirty forty seconds when the rest of them are trying to take over at that point. The other interesting thing, of course, is the Iron Sheik. Now, the Iron Sheik was involved in a short program on TV with Paul Ellering, who's also gone, obviously chasing the lovely lady somewhere. But now the Iron Sheik's gone. I'm not exactly sure why. He shows up almost right away, like literally the next day after he left Louisiana. He shows up in Florida, and then after a pretty short run there, he goes to Memphis and then Atlanta. So he starts really getting around. I'm not sure why he left Mid-South, because it seemed like they wanted to do something with him. Uh, My guess would have been without knowing anything. I just, because they didn't bury him. They didn't say like, oh, the junkyard dog ran him off. They didn't do that. And, and, you know, like even when the heel said that he got recalled by Ayatollah Khomeini, the babyface commentator, like Bill Watts, didn't go, oh, he's just scared of the dog. They didn't do any of that. I'm guessing maybe he beat up a fan. <laughs> I don't know. I just I had to take a guess. <laughs> that was my guess, why they had to get him out of town quickly, uh, because he went to Florida. And, of course, Eddie Graham had a great relationship with Bill Watts. And then he went to Jerry Jarrett, and Jerry Jarrett had a good relationship with Bill Watts. They got him out of there quickly, and it didn't seem like they were really finishing him up. And he had only been in Mid-South for, I don't know, three months, four months. So not exactly sure why he left Mid-South. Something I have to research. That's a good point, though, because you're right. They didn't bury him. I mean, they actually made him look strong right there at the end, if you really think about it, based on what Akbar said. And then, like you said, Watts didn't say anything at the end of that. They didn't, they didn't like, there was nothing negative, I should say. They, they actually made him seem strong. You know, he's just... Iranian and he went back and you know to to support his country and whatnot you know what I mean it it was it wasn't they didn't bury him they didn't say oh he ran away scared to the point you made so yeah you're right something happened what that is we don't know I'd love to ask the sheik why'd you leave yeah can you imagine his answer (laughs) well you know the the thing that stands out about it is just mid-south wrestling is known for a consistency you know, they they talked to the audience in a consistent tone. The storylines made sense and were consistent. You know, unless something crazy happened, like JYD walking out, things made sense. Things had a beginning, a middle, and the end. And then within three shows, Paul Ellering and the Iron Sheik are both gone, and both were definitely set up because those last couple of shows we did from 81, they were the, I mean, there was one show where they had two different segments on the one show, and it ended up being... More than half the show, Ellering got the only actual promo that wasn't a local promo on the show. And again, a promotion known for consistency. Both guys are gone within a couple of weeks. Yeah, they they jettisoned very quickly. It was, it was over within no time. I mean, we did those few shows where they, they're having that challenge with the Persian clubs. And then, poof, you know, within two, three weeks, they're all gone. And the next match here, they built up. It's, a, again, a previous clip. The Samoans versus Jesse Barr and Tommy Wright, Afa and Sika. Of course, in Mid-South, they spell Sika, S-I-C-A, as opposed to the popular S-I-K-A, and they're with Ernie Ladd in their corner. Boyd Pierce calls the match. Not Bill Watts, Boyd Pierce. Bill Watts must have had a flight. And um, (laughs) Sika pins Tommy Wright with a Samoan drop, Alfred Neely, the referee. But, you know, I like Boyd as the commentator. Maybe you'll understand this. But I feel like if I was driving cross-country through Louisiana somehow, I don't know what route I'm taking that I'm going through Louisiana to get from one side to the other. But if I stopped and I watched Mid-South Wrestling, Boyd Pierce is like the perfect voice for that show. I mean, Watts is perfect, and Watts should be there every week. But Boyd is actually good on commentary. He never gets a chance, but 
it's a it's a very regional thing because of his voice, but he's great. I agree. I thought Boyd was fine. Boyd, Boyd, he may not have sounded like Mister Excitement. You know, he he wasn't Lance Russell, obviously, but put him there by himself when Watts wasn't on commentary or any other of the quote unquote guest commentators that you'll see appear. Boyd was fine by himself. I mean, it, it, he he did a good job. It wasn't anything that he did wrong. And I thought he was good. I, I thought he was good. I did have that same note. It was like um, all of a sudden, Watts just disappeared. He'll be back in the next one, but he disappeared on, it, on, on this match. So I agree. Hey, to the point you made about the the way they spelled Sika, I can't remember how much we've talked about this on previous episodes, but a staple of Mid-South Wrestling is misspelling names and graphics. And I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll see a lot more of that in the years to come. <laughs> we certainly will. Uh, the next match here is the exciting Mike George, who's now wearing black tights, versus Carlos Zapata, previously known as simply Zapata. Uh, there are no seats. No one is sitting on the far side of the ring. And usually there are people there. Um, it's There's only really two hard camera shots they use one facing the bleachers and then this one from the side no one there so that's notable and then we talked about last week on the show mike watts mentioned that zapata looked like a guy known as the welcher katsabulus well for reasons we still don't understand watts brings him up again this week let's listen to this and action's fiction to pick up bill that's right carlos zapata the man who is Connected by Ken to the Welcher Katsabulis in Jackson, Mississippi. Friend of Jack Curtis, former friend of mine. <laughs> Again, what is that? Like he buries this guy on TV two weeks in a row, and he makes you think it's not like a rib because last week he's like, and I know the wife, and I feel bad for the wife and the kids. And this week he's like, he's a friend of Jack Curtis. He's not a friend of mine. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm trying to like think like, is this some kind of inside thing that it's just like a rib because ribs are big in wrestling, obviously. And I I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to make of this because I mean, we're halfway intelligent. We're sitting here watching this 30 plus years later. And we're like, what is he talking about? And I don't, I, I, maybe I need to Google it and see if I can figure out what's going on, where he's getting this from. But I have no clue. It's the strangest thing. And because you can't tell me, well, maybe there are people in the audience at home going, oh, I know it actually what he's talking about. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I'm lost. I'm lost on this one. I don't know if it's a Louisiana thing, Southern Mississippi thing. No clue. But it's just random, you know? I mean, not that the match is, is going to be exciting with Z- Carlos Zapata and Mike George. Matter of fact, I think it's over in less than like two minutes. But you know, I guess he figured he needed something to talk about since the match wasn't exciting. I don't know. I don't know. Just the strangest thing and just random. Like you said, WTF. I'd like to know exactly what he's saying. Is it Katsabulis? Like, I don't know what exactly he's saying, because last week he goes, he reminds me of a guy, the Welcher. He's also known as Katsabulis. And this week again, uh, now he says that he's actually not, doesn't remind him of him. He's related by kin. Somehow, like, the story has changed a little bit, and that's the story. Watts needed things to talk about. Like you said earlier, he picked up his talk about LSU and Larry Shagatana. <laughs> for a second match on this show. It is interesting because Watts is kind of like that last, it's hard to say last. I mean, he's the the most notable one, I think, who was still had involvement with local amateur wrestling. You know, it's something I think about like with Florida wrestling and Bill Watts, the same thing because he was an amateur wrestler and he did have a love of it. You know, Mid-South wrestling probably, you know, and and the eventual arrival of Dr. Death is part of it, but Mid-South wrestling probably talked about amateur wrestling as much as any wrestling promotion of its time. Oh yeah. He taught in Watts, especially during commentary in the middle of matches, you're going to, we're going to get to it. I mean, he, he actually overdoes it in my opinion, because he starts talking about not only like collegiate, but then I can't remember if it's when, when Dr. Death comes in or not, or it's around that time, but he starts talking about then his sons and high school wrestling. And, and, you know, I mean, he's just trying to put over, I guess, the local community, but he he gets I think, personally I think he gets carried away with it. I knew what he was trying to do, but you're right. He 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 definitely holds amateur wrestling in high esteem, and he's going to talk about it a lot on Mid South Wrestling. 
The next match is a big one. It's for the Mississippi Heavyweight Championship, which is quite an accomplishment considering this show takes place in Louisiana. Uh, it is weird. You shouldn't be able to defend the state championship in another state, I think. Even if it's just televised? Even if it's getting televised there, though, also? It's the Miss- What's the point of the Mississippi title if it changes hands in Louisiana? Well, I guess you have a point. At the same time, though, too, we're going to see they're going to do away with the Mississippi and Louisiana Um I don't want to say soon, but it doesn't hang around for a long time. You got a good point. I never really thought about it back then. I just figured, hey, man, we got a title belt, a strap on a line on TV. Let's see what's going to happen. That was me as a kid. But you make a good point. They're in Shreveport. How are you defending the Mississippi heavyweight title on in Louisiana? Right. Here's the other point. Here's the other point. Bob Orton Jr. did the job last week to Mike George in like – two minutes or three minutes and now he's about to fight mr olympia he's still the champ wasn't that last week brian it may have been uh you know it's interesting and we'll talk a little bit more about the match but bob orton jr famously bill watts always said that he fired him because he got into a fight and he didn't have enough like scrapes on his knuckles he didn't think he threw enough punches i also heard the story that he got into a fight and he lost and watts fired him but it really seems and we'll talk more about this later in the show Maybe getting buried isn't the right term, but he sure does get beat a lot on TV for a guy who's supposed to be in the main event mix or at least a top tier mix. Right. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you got to understand back then, to me, at least, if you were there was a North American champion and you had the Mississippi and Louisiana champion. I mean, those were I don't want to say equivalent to like the Intercontinental title, but I mean, they were they were big deals to us as fans back then. So yeah, when you see Bob Orton Jr., again, maybe the term buried is not good, but certainly, certainly putting people over on TV, it, 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 it wasn't a good look. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with myself right now, if you're supposed to be the champion, I mean, last week he lost to Mike George or a week before, I can't remember in like three minutes time. So, or four minutes, whatever it was, three and a half. So, but those titles meant something back then to us. So I, I don't know. It, it, um, it's weird, but it is what it is, I guess. You know. So, well, let's get into the match. Well, won't you say, Brian? It's a good match back and forth. I have a little bit of audio here of Bill Watts because he uses this example, the Mississippi title being defended on TV, to talk about Mississippi, talk about promoter George Culkin and some of the heel fans. Let's listen to this. The fans are really one thing about Mississippi. They really they get involved with the athletes. And stuff. It becomes almost personal with them. There's still a group of ladies in the Jackson area that are still fans of the Freebirds and call and, and write letters constantly to Grizzly Smith and and about Fantasia. This is real loyalty, and it, 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 I really enjoy people that that love their sport and and stick with the people that they care for, irregardless sometimes of whether they're they have the popular backing or the popular appeal. I mean, it seems like that everybody has their own favorites, and that what, that's what makes it a great sport. And right here, Mississippi title match, sanctioned by the Mississippi State Athletic Commission, Bob Orton Jr., who has been... How is it sanctioned by the Mississippi State Athletic Commission if it's taking place in Louisiana? Now, that I call BS on. Yeah. Here's why yeah. I say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I assume... And and, uh, and let me say this. By 1996, I was a licensed pro wrestler uh, because there is a a Louisiana Boxing and Wrestling Commission, I think, to this day. But back in that time, in 96, I was licensed in Mississippi and Louisiana because they both had commissions. Um, So you're right. It could not have been, assuming we're still talking about the same commissions, which things don't change quickly. Let me tell you down south, as someone who grew up down there in Louisiana and Mississippi. And New Orleans is not but mm, an hour from the state line driving, you know, east. So um, they were there was a commission and they would not have been commissioning the Mississippi heavyweight title match in Louisiana. So, yes. There's a point there that that definitely would be true. I love the idea that there's a group of female heel fans in Jackson, Mississippi, 
who keep writing Grizzlies with letters. <laughs> the way Watts said, he goes, he Watts didn't say like they keep writing and saying we want the Freebirds. He goes, they keep writing letters about Fantasia. <laughs> so I like the idea that they're just writing like letters about the mythical Fantasia of Freebirds lore <laughs> to Grizzly Smith. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That was good. That was a good clip you grabbed. That was really some good stuff. Did you find that that crowd was really quiet during a lot of that match, though? Yes, although it does pick up a little bit for the finish, and we might yeah. as well just say what it is. Mr. Olympia, you know, we, we're talking all this about Bob Orton kind of getting defeated on TV often. Mr. Olympia came in and quickly is getting a push, and here he wins the Mississippi title on TV over Bob Orton with a sleeper hold, and the place pops for the sleeper. And Mr. Olympia, being a good babyface, wakes Bob Orton up after he puts him to sleep. But, uh, you know, they're starting to do something with Mr. Olympia, and of course, they would do a lot with Mr. Olympia. Well, quick question for you as someone who watches, you know, later on for for me, young, you know, as young as I was watching this, Mr. Olympia, I remember him when he came in. It was a big deal. You know, he just he had the, he had the mask, you know, I don't want to say like he wasn't, you know, built like a, a Greek god, but, you know, decent look as far as body. Um, were you a Mr. Olympia fan? Oh, yeah, he's great. I, I was. I, I oh, was. Yeah. That's I, I'm asking because I was. Okay. He's great in the ring. He's great as a heel eventually. He's great as a baby mm-hmm. face. You know, it's weird. I don't, I, I got to see how things transpire because I must admit he's in good shape here, but he's not in as good a shape as I remember him eventually being in. So uh, we'll see how things turn out in the next year or so with him on this show. But he was in great shape. He uh, was really good in the ring. You know, he's one of those guys you always think he could have done more. You know, Jerry Stubbs, his real name, got a really good push working for Ron Fuller in Southeastern. But other than that, it's really when you think of him, you think of Southeastern and then you think of Mid-South. And he was gone from Mid-South before the big uh, 1984 boom, unfortunately, Mm because he would have been good in that mix because he was he was great in the ring. He could really go. Yeah, he'd have been real, he'd have been real good in that. I, and I don't know if if I was a big fan of him because, you know, eventually they pair him with JYD and whatnot. But, yeah, it, it definitely you know, I I just used to I really liked him. I mean, it was I don't know if it was the mask or what it was. But it was something about him. I remember as a kid. And that's why I asked you what you had thought of him. But I, he, he was good. I, I liked when he came into Mid-South. And I like the fact that like all the baby faces, no one is like similar. Like JYD is not similar to Mr. Olympia, you know, who's wearing a mask, who's not similar to DiBiase. Who's not similar right. to Murdoch? Like everyone who's there on the babyface side, and I'm sure if you go down the heel side, and actually I'm doing it in my head right now, you could do the same thing. Like no one's too similar to someone else. Everyone's unique and different. It's a great point, and that's what made I think wrestling better back then. Overall, you didn't have cookie cutter. You did not have the cookie cutter guy. I mean, you just didn't. You, where it was, you know, God bless that company. <laughs> in your neck of the woods but it's like uh we're gonna train these people at this performance center and and I, they're getting away from it because they're they're hiring diverse uh and i don't just mean race wise they're hiring diverse uh workers so to say or wrestlers people with different looks people with different you know st- uh, skills and styles but it they, there definitely was not a cookie cutter back then in mid-south you did not have that one style it was uh it was a rough style don't get me wrong but you had different looks i mean you're right jyd is nothing like mr olympia is nothing like ted DiBiase. is nothing like murdoch you know and same thing with the heel so a very good observation there and it really plays out in the next match which is paul orndorff and bob roop who of course have been teamed up together or aligned together for several weeks against the North American champion, Ted DiBiase and Dick Murdoch. We brought up Mike last week on the show, how, you know, it's interesting seeing the relationship between Murdoch and DiBiase here and knowing about the famous heel turn in November or double turn, I should say in November of 1985. And they're building it up again here. You know, that Murdoch was responsible for getting DiBiase in. He worked with him when he was the champion. So they're really building up the relationship, but there's a lot going on with this match. And we'll talk a little bit about what happens with it, but we got some audio right here to play. And man, that could just be like the starter's gun because I guarantee you, with the four men you got out there, anything can happen. Dick Murdoch and Ted DiBiase, all Texas team. It's got to be with some great pride that Dick Murdoch is the man who started young Ted DiBiase. And DiBiase was rookie of the year when Murdoch was probably the top star in the country. And now Dick Murdoch is teamed with him again with Ted DiBiase, now the North American champion and one of the top rising young stars, and Dick Murdoch, the established giant in wrestling, has got to feel proud that this young man that he started, 
has now teamed up with him in a match against two top ones. Bob Roop, a national AAU champion, Pan-American game champion, former Louisiana heavyweight champion, and Paul Orndorff, a man who two weeks ago right here on Mid-South won and lost the North American title in probably the most controversial situation I've ever seen due to the stipulations of the match, all in one move. DBS and Murdoch, you can tell, have worked out together. They got some teamwork down. They're going to be a hard group to beat. But as I'll say one thing, when they come from Texas, they have an abundance of, one, of, of the thing that gets a lot of athletes going. That's pride. But number one, Paul Orndorff has made a pride also. And that man is wired to the ground, and he's on the quest of the North American title, and there's the guy he's after, Ted DiBiase. Like I say, two weeks ago, boy, in the most unusual situation I've ever seen, Paul Orndorff won and lost the title in a matter of 60 seconds. And he has been upset ever since. Of course, Paul Orndorff, I think, was upset the day he was born. Well, Watts just went on like a two-minute rant there and just said everything you need to hear, put over every single guy in the match. Uh, one after another, and of course, I don't know why he went from DiBiase to DiBiase, and then just started calling him Ted DiBiase for the rest of the match. But uh, what what'd you think of Watts there? Well, he's going to call him DiBiase for a lot longer than just this right here, but he was really good. He starts right in. He's selling these guys, and and, and I mean, I know most people in Mid-South at this point knew who they were, but still, he's on commentary. He's selling how great they are. You know, as soon as it starts, he's talking about their credentials. And he starts talking about Orndorff winning and losing the title in a matter of seconds. Just, you know, the way he sold it, you realize you're watching, you know, four of the, the top guys in the promotion at this point in 82. And I just thought, watch, I mean, like you said, it was a two minute tirade, but I thought he, I thought he did everything he had to do right at the beginning of that match. You know, cause I mean, what are you going to do right there while they're feeling each other out and they're doing some moves? You could call it hole for hole, but old school commentary was about putting the guys over as, as as much as it was, you know, calling the different maneuvers and holes as well. And, and got watch that part mastered to me. So that's exactly what he did right there. I think Paul Orndorff may be my favorite person to watch lock up in the history of wrestling. Cause every time he locks up, it's a fight. He makes it look so physical and he does it here. He does it here when he locks up with DiBiase. And, you know, that's how the, that's, you know, I was always told that that's how the lockup's supposed to look. It's not supposed to just look like, hey, let's just walk into each other and go to the lockup. It's actually like when you throw in the lockup, so to say, you throw it in that collar and elbow and it should look like a quote unquote struggle. You know what I mean? Sure. And, but no and, one and, does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. So I, I agree with you there. No one does it, especially nowadays. Heck, some people just skip the lockup nowadays. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can count on you, you watch wrestling nowadays. See how many people start the match that way. And I'm not saying you should start every single match like that. My point is, it's like, hey, let's just go to the super kick right away. Um, that's not a shot at the young bucks. That came off the wrong way. I don't want to. You know, <laughs> I don't, don't want to tick people off, uh, you know, just for no reason. So, I, I, I'm, my point is, people just. They escalate things before they build things in a match properly. There you go. Now, and that's not just one promotion out there. It's any number you can think of. But anyway, all right, I'm on a tirade about something completely different. But no, you're right, Brian. He sold it. Orndorff, Orndorff, you know, throw that lock, threw that lock up in real good. But just overall, Watts on commentary right, th right there was excellent. And you heard the fans pop when Paul Orndorff got in the ring because they knew it was going to be DiBiase and Orndorff going at it. And... They really got into this match. They really got into the figure four spot where DiBiase gets Orndorff in the figure four and then Orndorff reverses it and DiBiase has to get his way out of it. This thing has been built up on TV for week after week. The figure four, the counter to the figure four that Bob Roop and Paul Orndorff have figured out and the fans really react to it. So it shows that they're paying attention and they know what's going on. And then we mentioned Bob Orton Jr. This match gets crazy. Murdoch accidentally bonks heads with referee Alfred Neely. And then Bob Orton runs in and gives DiBiase a pile driver. And then <laughs> craziness continues. Murdoch hits a brain buster on Bob Orton and pins him, even though he's not even in the match. So Bob Orton on one show gets pinned twice, once in a match he isn't in, and the other match is the match where he loses the Mississippi State Championship. Yeah, and the best part about this is he took the pin after he got brain busted. 
<laughs> and I think it was Alfred Neely in there, and they're, the heels are crying, and they're they're like fussing about it, but. The ref's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> y'all, y'all still lose. <laughs> it's just absurd. Um, I, I don't know if you could do that finish nowadays because, you know, you'd want the ref to be smart enough to realize that the person who wasn't in the match took the pin. But I don't know. It was just really, it was, <laughs> it was chaotic. That's for darn sure. And the fans were going nuts. Man, they are, they're losing their minds. And it was, that, I think, you know, that's a big takeaway too. P- crowds being into it back then. Alfred Neely does that annoying thing that a lot of referees do when there's a controversial ending of a match like this, where all of a sudden it becomes a mime. You know, the three heels are like, what are you doing? And he just, like, puts his hands together, like, counting, like, one, (laughs) two, three. Like, they know what just happened. Why are you doing that? Why is that your defense? Like, you look confused and you're just, like, slapping your hands. (laughs) Like, that's, Yeah. It's the worst defense, right. but I've seen like so many referees do that. All of a sudden, they become mimes when you're trying to figure <laughs> out what happened. Like they don't explain anything; they just make hand motions to show what they just did. So a little, a uh, little rant there. Oh no, it's 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 warranted. <laughs> but you're right, and the refs do do that. It's like, what are you doing? We know, we know what just happened. Why are you miming it? <laughs> So uh, DiBiase oh, and Murdoch are the winners. So in Mid-South Wrestling, he'll be called Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase, and of course, famously by Skandar Akbar, Ted DiBiase. So three different God. pronunciations of Ted DiBiase's name that you'll be hearing on Mid-South Wrestling uh, in the weeks and months and years ahead. And from this match, this exciting match, Mike, we go to Ed Wiskowski versus Terry your Daniels. Favorite, your he, favorite talent in Mid-South, Ed Wiskowski. No disrespect to Ed Wiskowski or anything else he ever did in his career, but it's like watching paint dry him in Mid-South. It's just, it's just, he's so big and it's not even that he's slow, but he seems slow because he's so big. Terry Daniels, a tiny guy. This is one of the, you know, this is Terry Daniels early in his career before he's private Terry Daniels in the Cobra Corps. And he would end up back in Mid-South wrestling in 85, I believe. Uh, not much to say about this match. Ed Wiskowski wins. He just basically kicks the shit out of him and overpowers him and then just like slaps him in the face and pins him. So it's a weird, you know, it's just a match on TV. It's just happening, but it gives Bill Watts an opportunity to recap everything you just saw, because what you just saw, there was a lot going on. It happened quick and it was overwhelming. Mm. You have to reinforce that. So really, that's why this match is here. It gives Bill Watts a chance to come down a little bit from the high of that previous match and explain what happened. Let's listen to Bill Watts right now. Well, I'll tell you, the crowd's still buzzing over that last match. It surely hadn't been Bob Orton Jr.'s day. He lost the Mississippi title. Mr. Olympia, and I guess out of frustration and anger, tried to strike back. Wasn't even in the match, but interfered and got caught and pinned, which I think is great. I think when these guys interfere, if they get beat, it should go right on their record as losing the fall. Great thing, again, the packed house here at the Irish McNeil Boys Club. And I want to tell you, those are the fly aircraft this is ifr weather here in shreveport at the taping session it's really low ceilings and rain just one of those miserable days to be outside yet these loyal wrestling fans came out to support their favorites and they sure got their money so far just as you fans at home we want to thank you again for inviting us in here quick move terry daniels moved in under the big polish prince caught him with a dark drag but the prince using that size and strength picks him right up in it and body slams him all right so there's watts giving you a recap, and then all of a sudden, in describing that the weather, I guess, is bad, he just starts going into his air traffic controller talk again. <laughs> you know, it's low ceilings here, and uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's just it's just so he, random. He just talks about whatever the hell he wants to talk about, and then he thanks all the fans, and he, he says so many different things within the span of a minute, yet everything just flows and makes sense. Yeah, I like the recap, because like you said, there was a lot it, it, here's the thing. You're watching it on TV back then. And let's face it. You don't have as many distractions back then as you do nowadays with social media and whatnot and people trying to tweet while they're watching something and read tweets and whatnot. So all this is going down and you're a fan. You're watching it before this match starts. You're watching Orndorff, Rube, DiBiase, Murdoch. It's, it's haywire. It's going nuts. So you see it all break down. Watts starts this match with a recap. And like you said, he's calm. He settled down talking about you know what happened 
And then, like you said, he randomly, and from what you just heard, just starts talking about air traffic control and the low ceilings and the rain and how great it is to be indoors watching Mid-South wrestling. <laughs> and um, then the match ends, and Ed Viscousy wins with a backbreaker and a brutal chop to Daniels as Daniels goes down, and that was it. Um, I... I you know, I liked Watts here, though, even though he went off, I don't want to say off script, that even though he went to the whole ceiling deal with the air traffic control randomly, I like the recap at the beginning of it. And this was a very quick match. I didn't time it, but uh, probably less than two minutes. It's just, it ended very quickly. Wiskowski's like an, a wrestler from, he just feels like he should be like the Midwest in like 1972. Like, it's just, it's just, he doesn't fit in. It just doesn't feel right, him being here. I, don't, I feel bad saying this. It's just, he's not doing well, no. anything and he's not impressive and... It just, it doesn't seem a good fit. Here's a confession, and I'll take some heat from this, from from my uh, Louisiana and, and Southern Mississippi and Mississippi, Alabama folks who listen to this show. I don't really remember him in Mid-South as a kid. I didn't really realize who he was as I, more I think about it until I started rewatching these. And it's because... I don't know if it's the out of place thing as much as there's nothing flashy about him that is would make me really remember him from when I watched it originally in 1982. If that makes sense. Like he there's nothing there that I can grab. I always use the term sink my teeth into like Murdoch and DiBiase and even Roop and Orndorff. There's something there. JYD, obviously, there's something there. Wiskowski, it's no disrespect to him. I just there's there's nothing I remember. There's nothing that was memorable where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember watching him when I was a kid in 82. I just there's it's not there. And Terry Daniels takes a great ass kicking. Oh, yeah, he could sell. Boy, I, I forgot how good he is at selling. You really believe he's getting his ass. Well, I mean, he may actually be, but you really like believe in the beating he's taking. Yes, yeah, he, t- he took a beating from Big Ed Wiskowski right here. Good, good looks. Uh, I, I think Watts was probably proud of Daniels and the beating he took from that big man right there. Well, the next match uh, is the last match on the show. It's Frank Monty versus Bill Ash. Frank Monty has the most unflattering look because he has like a perm and a mustache, and his perm and his mustache are brown. And then he has brown tights, and then he has like this brown. I don't know, fleece or suede. I, don't, I can't tell exactly what it is, but this brown zipper up jacket with this big collar. It's just, it's just not a good look. It looks like a 1972 porn star right there. That's like the perm. The, I, not that I watch porn in the seventies. It just, there's something about his look that it's like, wow. Yeah. The, the brown, the crushed velvet. I don't know what the heck it was, but, I agree. His look was just, huh? And then, you know, the other part is, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this as a second, he just kind of threw this match at the end. He needed to fill up some TV time. <laughs> That's basically what it is. It's just, let's do this. <laughs> Watt starts talking about Bill Ash's uh, father, Noel, who made wrestling boots and was respected, as Watt said it. A uh, little fact there for the fans. No finish in a the match. They really do put Bill Ash over, though, in commentary. Uh, and I know Bill Ash had some runs in Tennessee and I think Southeastern. But uh, they, they really made him sound uh, credible here in this last match. And I believe he may have even taken over his father's wrestling boot business, but I'm not certain. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's uh, interesting. But no, Frank Monty was... Uh... I keep going back to how he looks. I'm sitting there looking at my screen right now, and I'm like, wow, I had to pull it up for a second. Oh, goodness. Oh. Did you have any audio from this to play, Brian? I couldn't couldn't quite remember if we had anything no. from this. It, happened. it, was <laughs> no. so, it was so quick. I mean, the only, the only other thing I had, too, was, like, this match is crammed in at the very end. I mean, it actually starts with, like, four minutes of TV time left, but it felt like, you know, Watts talking about what happened earlier in the show. So he's kind of like recapping what happened with the Mississippi title bow. And then he talks about the big tag match, not details, but Hey, you know, we had an exciting hour. You know, we had the Mississippi tag title. We had the big tag match and he's, and then he starts walking us through what's coming up next week. And then like, they realize they get like a time cue or something that there's 30 seconds left. And then Boyd starts plugging stuff as fast as he can for next week. And then the show just ends in the middle of the match. We'll catch you next week at Mid-South Wrestling. Um, it's just, uh, and this is, this is kind of common. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing, but it, it, it happened, uh, you know, more than once, obviously. But did you catch all that at the end? 
Yeah. I mean, it was basically just get every single thing in. And then the show just goes off the air without any conclusion to this match that there really is no need to leave anyone in suspense of Bill Ash versus Frank Monty. Although it builds into the credibility of we have our main event, we put it early or in the middle of the show, and then the rest of these are expiration of time matches, and you may see the ending or you may not, and it may be a main event match that ends the show, or it may be an undercard match. You never know. And I think that I, I actually think the uh, the more I've thought about it over the years, this was a good way to do it, even though it's like, why wouldn't you just end it? Well, it gave the show that real fight appeal, so to say. Back then, you didn't have you because if you'd have ended it right as time was expiring, it's like, oh, okay, you know, there's no real competition in it. But like you said, they threw the main event two matches before this. You had some fill-ins, and it 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 makes it feel like okay, that other match, the main event, you know, Orndorff, Rube, DiBiase, Murdoch, it could have went the entire time, and you will see times where that will go the entire time or go later into the show. But no, there's some realism here. You know, we added a match. Okay, now we got another standby. And if it doesn't end before the hour ends, well, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. So I was all right with it. It just it's funny, though, as you look back at it all these years later when you rewatch it. And with that, we have another episode of Mid-South Wrestling in the books. Any final thoughts about this week's episode, Mike? Um, The tag match was good. The Mississippi title match. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Mr. Olympia, good stuff there. Uh, the the Watts Iron Sheik deal and in, in JYD, I thought that was a real good uh, segment or, or group of segments for the show. So I I liked it. I mean, it, it was good. Look, we look, we got to be honest. This is not the the great stuff that we'll see from Mid South coming up. But it's, it's I mean, good. Look, forty minutes of forty minutes of wrestling, uh, you know, uh, without the commercials and whatnot. So a good show. I enjoyed it. The storylines all make sense. Everything that happens makes sense, and you have Watts, the master explainer, telling you, even when there's nothing happening on a show, the show keeps moving, and the show's so interesting because of that commentary. Another fun episode, another fun week, and, you know, things are still happening. The figure four is still in play. The DiBiase, Orndorff, Roop feud, there's no resolution yet. Ernie Ladd wasn't really on this week, even though they had a clip from a previous show of him managing the Samoans. Same thing with JYD, a clip, but he's not there. And Dick Murdoch's in the mix again. Iron Sheik, like Paul Ellering, is gone. Mr. Olympia is starting to get a push. Things are really starting to happen. And 1982 is going to be a really interesting year and a really cool year. And it's starting to take place right here. Yeah, I tell I tell people all the time because uh, I've gotten messages. Hey, well, you know, uh, I'm watching the end of 81, early 82, mid-south, man. When's it pick up? Just stick with it on as, as, you're, as you're watching along. Stick with it. You'll you'll see it pick up, and when it picks up, you'll you'll enjoy it. I mean, it take it. I will say this around this time again. It, it it's not a lull, but it's a little slow. I mean, by today's standards, but back then it wasn't slow. So yeah, it picks up, and eighty two is going to be eighty two. Definitely going to be a good year. Well, with that, Mike, let the listeners know how they could stay in touch with you and keep up with what you're doing with booking the territory. Well, you can follow me on Twitter, two places, at BTT underscore podcast. My personal Twitter is at Mike504Saints. And then you can like our Facebook pages, facebook.com slash booking the territory. Two shows a week. Once on Thursdays, we do, I'll just call it the NWA WCW Saturday night show right now because that's what it's mostly consistent of. But we do talk a lot of other old school classic wrestling topics on that one. That's on Thursday nights, 7 p.m. Central Time. The show drops. Just search tinyurl.com slash BTT pod you can get that show and then thursday night is our smoking mountain wrestling recaps where we are going through each and every uh did i say thursday i don't know what the heck i said but sunday night i should say 7 p.m central time is the smoking mountain wrestling recap show every single week we're going through each week of smoky mountain wrestling it is a fun ride you can you know you can download all of those shows again at tinyurl.com slash btt pod you can check us out wherever you get podcasts from whether it's itunes apple Podcasts, podcast addict tune in radio stitcher everywhere you uh what did you say brian you uh you get for free or steal your podcast from you can check us out lots of fun lots of good times doc harper and i we we have fun talking old school wrestling and celebrating the the days gone by the days that'll never happen again unfortunately so uh it's a good time though we have a lot of fun you can follow me on twitter at great brian last and you can follow the 605 super podcast on twitter 
at 605pod. To keep up with the Super Podcast on Facebook, join our Facebook page, our Facebook community, facebook.com slash superpodcast. Get updates about the show, exclusive artwork, give your listener feedback, and so much more, facebook.com slash superpodcast. This show is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Until next time, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!